to Chapter Surfing. This episode, we're going to be talking about the HBO series House of the Dragon and the book Fire and Blood by George R.R. R. Martin. We're going to talk about uh, all of both of those things, so be prepared for spoilers. And my guest is Jack Allison from Struggle Session. Hello. Thanks for having me, Lenny. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, you were on the Game of Thrones episode. I'm so glad to have you back for this one. And Yeah. You know, I, I think I maybe would have got into reading the book anyway, but but thank you for for inspiring me to to actually blow through it in time. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask before we talk about actually watching the show and reading the book was just sort of your mindset going into it. Like, how did you feel when they announced that there was going to be another Game oh. of Thrones show? I was a little bit like you know, and I I. I regret this, but I think that I was a little bit like, you know, hesitant about it. You know, I, I guess I feel like it came up, you know, around the same time as the Lord of the Rings show getting announced. It felt unnecessary. Even seeing all the ads around town, it really felt like, oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> um, but then when it actually like aired and got close to airing, I was like, wait a minute, like George R. R. Martin like is good. And this is the one where he's like doing all the press for it. And he's like more involved with it and everything like that. So I kind of got myself hyped, but you know, right before it aired more or less. How about you? Yeah, I was sort of similar. I was like a little skeptical. Uh, I was skeptical with more Game of Thrones in general and also like specifically uh, I wasn't sure if like focusing on the Targaryens, I hadn't read Fire and Blood. I wasn't sure if focusing on the Targaryens would be that interesting. And I feel like a lot of the sort of pictures that came out didn't look that good. I feel like uh, part a big part of the appeal of Daenerys and her brother was just that they like looked really amazing. And then I think on the the show people actually like have charisma and you get really into it. But in the photos, it was sort of like, I don't know if I want to watch like Matt Smith in a bad wig. <laughs> like, <laughs> I Yeah, the wigs are not yeah. good. I will say, even though I like the show, I do think that they uh, aren't doing a great job with the wigs. That's a big complaint. Yeah, someone, I hadn't thought about it, but someone explained it to me that like um, on Game of Thrones, Daenerys was like basically the only important wig so they could like really sink all of their money into that. <laughs> but on, uh, yeah, in House of the Dragons, it's like they have to buy a wig for every fucking person. Yeah, yeah. The, the wig person is probably very overextended yeah. on uh, House of the Dragon. Um, so yeah, uh, I was pretty skeptical. And then before... Before even deciding to do it for this podcast, I got invited to, to go to some like watch parties for it. Um, so that was why I started watching it, um, which I think was like a good experience that made me like like it even more. That because it is uh, a really good like communal show uh, in a way that feels like we really haven't had something like that in a while. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I also feel like, you know, I got really tired of Game of Thrones, but in, you know, I realized as this one was coming up that I'm like, well, it's really Benioff and White right? who suck, <laughs> and they're not part of it. And you know what I mean? I'm like, George R. R. Martin is good. The world of Game of Thrones is good. HBO makes good television. Like, the that one part of the recipe <laughs> here that, made, that soured the entire thing, like, had nothing to do with it anymore, but... To get back to your point, like, I agree. I think that this show 
weirdly, I, I don't think any show has like done this recently where like this became like a water cooler show. It's actually, it's very, I was thinking about this with regard to everybody being all upset about HBO Max removing a bunch of cartoons and stuff like that. And, you know, everybody being like, time to cancel HBO Max. I bet HBO Max over these last couple months has had the highest number of increase of subscribers that they've ever had. And it's because of the simple math of put out an HBO television right. show that 30 million people are watching. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe all this streaming stuff, like you don't need to make a ton of shows, make one game of Thrones show and you are suddenly like the biggest channel on TV. Right. Again. Yeah. That is like such an interesting conversation because just like the idea of like constantly having access to every show is such a like new strange idea. And like, I get it. Like I've gotten used to be able to watching, to watch any random thing I think of, but like expecting them to host every show they've ever made. It's like the equivalent of like, if when NBC did reruns, they like had to put like outsourced in there. It's like, uh, no, uh, like they're going to yeah, rerun I mean, it is their like, big shows. Uh, there was no expectation, like, before DVDs that anyone would ever see a TV show again. <laughs> you know what I mean? And frankly, you know, it is whatever. I get it, why people want their work shown. But animation people aren't getting residuals. And so I'm kind of like, they're like, how do I show people my work to get more work? I'm like, put it on Vimeo. Like, don't you have the fucking files somewhere? Yeah, like, that, I don't know, make a private Vimeo link. That was an interesting point I saw someone make that, like, if they want to fight for robust residuals, which I feel like they should. A trade-off is going to be them like taking off shows that aren't um, popular. Yeah. Like That's just a natural uh, trade-off that would happen. Yeah, but anyway, th that's all a yeah. big aside <laughs> from just like that. Like I do think House of the Dragon did break through in a way that I didn't, frankly, like expect. Yeah, I um, and I like I liked the show a lot, but I feel like this was also a show that was well liked by normal people. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting because I feel like people didn't expect the success. Even though, in some ways, like, in hindsight, it feels like a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, Game of Thrones was, like, of the course. biggest thing. Like, make more of it. Um, well, yeah. It's also funny that it's, like, since Game of Thrones, people have been, like, what's going to break through next? Like, what will be the thing that actually breaks through like Game of Thrones did? And it turns out the answer is Game <laughs> right? of Thrones. Yeah. Just Game of Thrones again. <laughs> of course. Like, it does make sense in the yeah, end. Yeah, it feels like this weird situation where, sort of, I think, like, the more in the, like, industry media bubble you are, the more surprised surprised by it you were because i know like um yeah. right right before it came out i um in my day job in retail this guy i was working with was like i just started game of thrones have you seen it it's crazy this guy pushed a kid out a window and i like that made me realize like i bet there's a lot of people like that in the world compared to like the more in the bubble you are the more you're like oh everyone forgot about game of thrones like it's not relevant anymore yeah. I know, yeah, like, I, this was a huge show. It still is, remains one of the b most well-made shows, even though it, like, has a disappointing ending. And, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, I, I found myself as the days got closer to premiere being like, well, why am I not excited about this? Oh, shit, sorry. Sorry, I think I hit a, hold on a sec, you'll have to cut that out. I think I hit the, the Siri button, oh. so I couldn't hear you for a sec. All right. 
Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I was gonna, I was just saying, like, as it got closer, I was like, well, why am I not excited about this? And I think it was just like what you're saying, like this kind of, you know, passe media person <laughs> thing of being like, do we really want more Game of Thrones? And the answer for the world and for me <laughs> is yes, yeah. actually. It's really interesting. I look at the like um, most review the most like well-reviewed shows on metacritic a lot and it's interesting that house of the dragon was not even in the top 100 most well-reviewed shows and on rotten tomatoes which is like a slightly different system i think it is in the top 100 but it's not high it's like in the 80s um which i think is like not reflective of the quality of the first couple episodes of the show it really feels like it's reflective of them like being too embarrassed to like state their (laughs) name on game of thrones and i feel like we're going to see a situation where in season two, even if the first few episodes are actually worse, it's going to like shoot up in how, how the critics <laughs> see it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, we'll get into the book and everything, but like, you know, the situation is different here. Like Benioff and Weiss were guys that were pretty good at adaptation and then they ran out of stuff to adapt and it got really bad. So far, it seems like Ryan Condal, I know, you know, whatever Sapochnik is leaving. But that seems kind of like a situation where they brought on two showrunners and one guy they brought on was more experienced because the other guy didn't have as much under his belt to do a big show like this. But Condal seems pretty solid and seems like he does understand the world of Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire really well. And they do have this, like very decent outline from George R. R. Martin for where to go. It's like the reverse situation. Like they have a good outline that they can actually embellish and expand upon in ways that are satisfying to people that read the book. Uh, but they do know kind of like the broad, stro- like the actual broad strokes of how to bring it to a satisfying conclusion. Right. Yeah. It, and yeah, it's interesting that there's basically no chance of like a winds of winter situation because fire and blood, the one book, just goes through everything like these people and their children and their children's children um yeah it does feel like george r R. martin was like they fucked up the last one i'm just going to write out like 30 seasons of tv in outline form and so just use this you know what i mean like if you want to keep making these shows please just use this book and we're not going to be in that situation anymore yeah Although, true to form, this is only the first of two Fire and Blood books, and it also ends on a cliffhanger. So he still hasn't quite finished it, but he still did lay out enough for them to do uh, um, for a ver- for many, many years. Yeah, I also just feel like um, for a lot of people, the like weaker seasons of Game of Thrones just like aren't as much of a deal breaker as some people think. Like I. I don't know, just being such a like long time TV fan, whenever people are like, oh, I was really into Game of Thrones, but the last couple seasons are bad. I'm like, yeah, have you not watched a TV show before? Like, of course, that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, yeah, the highs are so high. And yeah, and I, I did, you know, also, I do think that there is something to be said for HBO is kind of doing, it's almost, it's bizarre. It's like HBO is doing like classic TV mm-hmm. now. Like this is airing on television. It's appointment watching in a way that even like, I mean, the Lord of the Rings show was just bad, <laughs> but also it kind of didn't feel like it was airing at a specific time. I know it came out week by week, but there really is with this Game of Thrones show that it's like everybody needs to communally sit down at nine Eastern, six Pacific and watch this show as it airs. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, which is, I, you know, they're kind of going back to, to basics, and there really is, like, an appealing feeling to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
So I want to talk about sort of the order we uh, went about watching and reading. Um, for me, uh, like I said, I watched the show every week, basically with a watch party. And then I read the book. I read almost all of it between episodes five and six and then finished it like right after episode six. Uh, do you remember sort of the order you did things in? I don't remember exactly the episodes, but I think it is somewhere around there, to be honest with you. I think it's maybe around like four, but I really did blaze through the book. You know, I think it was, it's like a pretty dense book. And when I got it, I was like, damn, like 700 pages. And then I was done in like a week and yeah. a half because it really is like a kind of breezy, gossipy read. Um, yeah, it's way more readable than I thought. Um, I don't know how much mm-hmm. you knew about it, but when I started it and realized it was a history, I was kind of like, oh no, like I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but then uh, it's, yeah, it's super fun and easy to read. Yeah, I mean, I that's kind of why I didn't read it up till this point is because I kind of knew it was the Silmarillion <laughs> of Game of Thrones, and I should have read it honestly, you know, because I read all I've read all the Game of Thrones books, and I really and I've read Dunkin' Egg. I, I somehow just missed this and and never got it, but yeah, there is George R. R. Martin writes it like a popular history right. book. Like he actually does have some fun with it, especially, and we'll talk about in the uh, in the Dance of Dragons chapters. He like. Like does a very interesting thing with the sort of multiple perspectives that he pulls from uh, that is like both kind of like just, you know, lasciviously fun and then also just is kind of a a fun way to do something like the Silmarillion in a different, more modern way. Yeah, I really love like how thought through it is because um, like when I was a kid, I was such a fucking nerd. I would like all, buy all the stuff like, you know, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And like, there's a <laughs> Buffy book that's like the Sunnydale yearbook. But they were always sort of sure. so like lazily made that it was kind of just like, this, this isn't what it would be. It wouldn't be like this. And I love just like how much Fire and Blood, you're like, this is a book that Tyrion would read. Like he thought it through yeah. so much. I mean, it's great. It's like, it is you know, as written by a maester and translated He's by so George cute. R. R. Martin is even how the byline is in the book. And yeah, when we get into the to the actual Dance of Dragons chapters, the thing where it's a maester and then another maester and then the third <laughs> perspective is from the testimony of Mushroom, who's like a dwarf, you know, who wrote sort of like a body, lascivious version of it. It really is great, actually. Like, and, and, it, and it, I think it also like... It, it does make it, it leaves stuff open for there to be fun in the show for the show creators and for those of us that have read the books. Right. You know what I mean? The show does get to still kind of make choices about things that happened and embellishing things. And yeah, I, I actually thought the book was really fun. Yeah. And it, it was like a, you know, I mean, again, like I read it and I was just like, George R. R. Martin is a really fucking good oh, writer, yeah. actually. And like, there's a reason why this shit takes so much time is he really is thoughtful and gives a shit, you know? Um, and he really is like a very, very solid writer. Um, yeah, it's such an interesting situation. It's so different from I didn't read the Game of Thrones books at the time but I've talked to people who have and it it is sort of like a situation where if you've read the books you basically knew what every season um and a little bit every episode was gonna be like um whereas like this situation 
having read the book, I don't feel like that necessarily makes me know where the show is going to go. Like, for one thing, there's so many people who could end up on top depending on just, like, where you make the finale of the show, which I think is kind of funny. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's fun, too. I also think that the show was able to do interesting stuff that, like... It's well. I mean, the the one of the big ones was um, Lenor uh, escaping, right. you know, with his lover. I'm like, that's an interesting thing because that doesn't. It's not in the book, but it doesn't contradict the right. book. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was like, oh, Lenor, like, you know, what's his name did escape uh, after killing Lenor, and I'm like, well, that actually like maybe makes sense that that's what happened, and they just don't know that for the history. Yeah, book. that's an aspect of it that is so fun that like. Uh, House of the Dragon is portraying what actually happened and um, and the books aren't. Like, the books don't know what really happened. So there's stuff like when... Um, like, when Rhaenyra has a miscarriage in the book, it's like, she gave birth to, like, a monster. Um, and that's not, like, necessarily, like, a change. It's just like, oh, in the books, it was this crazy thing because that's just, like, how history works and, like, wild, like, rumors get, st- get passed yeah. around. Yeah. And Mushroom tells his <laughs> version of it, which is all fucked up and everything. Yeah, you know, I, I it's interesting. It's also weirdly, like... For some, I, I noticed that people have been like more loose with the spoilers on what happens, mm-hmm. and for some reason, it just feels different yeah. this time. Because like in the Game of Thrones books, it was like you were just reading like the script of what happens, and you kind of were like, "Ooh, let's like." But it, it's almost like it's almost like we're watching like Band of Brothers, and you're spoiling World <laughs> right, War exactly. Two or something. <laughs> it's like weird because we it like feels more like a history, and you're like, "Well, no, what happens obviously is this." Yeah. Uh, uh, it just feels a little different. Different and you know I don't know like frankly I'm like everyone just read the fucking book at least read the chapters or something like that it's not that it's not that even big a read yeah I feel like probably a lot of people are gonna read it because I think this show isn't coming back until like 2024 so Oof. <laughs> oh that's brutal actually I'm, I'm not sure about that but I think it's gonna be a while because I remember someone told me they were like well I'm gonna end up reading the book because I have to wait so long Wow. Yeah, no, I'm looking it up now. It says won't return till 2024. Bad, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. I was kind of ready for this, you know. I know you watch a lot of television. <laughs> I was kind of ready for this to be my only right. show. I was really like, I had just finished uh, uh, Better Call Saul, and I was like, okay, that was good, but that's enough binge watching <laughs> for now. And so I'm like, I'll just watch one show, and it'll air on Sundays, and I'll talk about it with people. But that's a bummer that it's not going to be back till yeah. 2024. Good Lord. <laughs> Um, oh, the other thing I was going to say is, like, what is so interesting about it is that um, the the book gives so little, like, detail and, like, emotions a lot of the time that it just, like, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel like spoilers exactly. Like, for example, you know right. that, like, Aemond and Luke uh, had their, like, battle in the sky, but then, like, when you see it fleshed out in the show, it's, like... Um, you know, it's completely different when you can, like, see Eamon's face and his reaction to everything. Yeah, and the show gets to make that decision. The show gets to decide, like, Eamon is like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, when, whereas the book is just, like, sort of not dryly, because I don't want right, to mislead right. people into thinking that the book is dry, because it does actually have a lot of great moments, but it just is, like, a a popular history. It's, like, a it's a really well-written popular history of, uh, of Westeros, and, yeah, it's like, it is... It's different, but uh, but yeah, but but still a very compelling and fun mm-hmm. read. Yeah, and like even though 
like, broad strokes, I do like and care about the characters in the book, but they don't have, I think, as, like, strong and compelling a personality as, like, in the book, I really didn't care about Rhaenyra at all. And I feel like I... Oh, interesting. I would not have, like, picked her to be the protagonist because it just sort of feels like, you know, she gets promised... She gets promised to be the ruler and she's mad about it. And then later, like, she gets fat and her husband doesn't love her anymore. It's like, okay. <laughs> but I, yeah, like, watching I mean, the show, yeah, I love I, her. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I, that's one of the things I think the show does really well. And it's something that in the first episode or two, I was, like, almost not on board for. I was like, you know, in the first couple episodes, I was like, well, I'm really liking returning to Westeros. And I think that there's stuff that the show even does better than Game of Thrones, to be honest with you. I think Condal... One thing I think actually is geography mm-hmm. and like the setting of these places. I thought in the first episode, I was like, damn, I feel like I have a better sense of what King's Landing is actually like as a place uh, than we ever got in Game of Thrones. Like we actually see like big sort of like sweeping shots of all the slums. And in Game of Thrones, it's kind of like we're at King's Landing. Here's a bunch of different like sets. Right. You know what I mean? Um, which is yeah. fine. But yeah. Uh, uh, so in the fir- like in the first couple episodes, I was feeling though a little bit like okay this is like the tutors or something like i'm interested in the you know the 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 succession drama of it all but i'm not that drawn into the characters but i do think that like maybe episode four or five or something like that i started to be like i actually like love this cast of characters i think patty considine you know it you know it works obviously for him to pass at the end of this season but Viserys and and just patty considine in general i think like really got me to like all the people and i really like i think it was the episode when rhaenyra and damon have their like they go down to the brothel that was the one where i was like damn i think i'm actually i like all these characters now and i'm kind of on board for their drama yeah i was really pleasantly surprised by just like how much of it is about feelings and like like uh game of thrones i definitely like sometimes compared to gossip girl but house of the dragon is like really gossip girl where just like so much of it is about these like smaller emotional moments and i really Mm -hmm. like that and think it really adds to it like one one moment that pops out at me is like when they announce that um, Rhaenyra's kids are gonna marry Rhaenys's daughters. When they like look at each other and they're actually like happy about it, like that was such a nice moment where I was like, oh, like yeah. they like each other. Like, and it really <laughs> that stuff like really adds to the show. And I didn't necessarily go into it expecting to like so often be like, oh, they they like each other. <laughs> Yeah, there's a. It's weird because obviously it is about like royal succession, and there is big, intense stuff that happens, and there's deaths and everything. But I think compared to Game of Thrones, it's almost like a little less heightened soap opera ish. You know what I mean? Like it, it, there are big things that are happening, but there was no big episode one moment of like the queen and her brother are secretly having an affair, and they push right. a little boy out of the window. Like I kind of I agree with you that I, I kind of am like more drawn in to the emotions of these characters and to like, you know, yes, they're, they're in this world of succession and everything, but there also is this like emotional core to it where it's like these two girls that grew up together are now at each other's throats and the king really wants his family to be nice to yeah. each other. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I really like that it just sort of never forgets the the relationships between the people and there's like some really interesting moments where it's like the stakes are so high but then they do have those relationships like I think a great part is when Rhaenyra and Damon are talking to Viserys when he's like fucking on death's door as usual and it does such a great balance of like they have to kind of awkwardly be like hey like a bunch of really important stuff is happening with the future of my children while also like it just never forgets that they're watching their brother and their father like die and it's really Mm -hmm. upsetting for them yeah i uh, and also i'll just again sing the praises of patty considine who like i really think like pulled this whole season together and it's such a weird thing because again it's almost the reverse game of thrones where it's like this guy who is kind of arguably not the main character in the way that Ned Stark was the main character, but definitely like a core of the show. In Game of Thrones, you're like, oh, Ned Stark is the main character, and then we're surprised that he dies. The reverse is true on House of the Dragon, where like for nine episodes, we're like, when is this <laughs> yeah. man going to die? Like, we, like it's so clear he's going to die. When is that going to happen? And then it does, and it is still a big deal, and it is still crazy. But um, yeah, it is almost like we're dealing with... Yeah, the the smallness of that emotion rather than the sort of like shocking, you know, soap opera-ishness of of Game of Thrones. Yeah, they, uh, I was just like really surprised at how much I went in expecting like this big, basically like war show. Um, And then like there's just these like really sort of like quietly tragic moments like when Viserys tells everyone to get along and it like, actually kind of works which you're just like not expecting but then like the kids have to be shitty to each other and it's like Uh this really small um like a small emotional microcosm of like how history will always be like fucked up because of all the succession stuff I mean, and also the, the moment, uh, a great moment in the show that is both like simultaneously badass in a Game of Thrones way and also has that emotional core is when Viserys shows up and he's wearing the mask and he like hobbles down, okay. you know, the courtyard. And, but this is still all at its core about him like, you know, advocating for his daughter. You know what I mean? Like going through a great amount of personal pain. But then it also is like fucking badass and like just i mean a great performance from patty considine but then also just like so classically medieval with the face mask and it just uh, yeah that that was a fucking great moment i don't know i haven't seen like something like that in a show anytime recently yeah it's so interesting how sort of the they make the relationships nicer than you expect and then that ends up like not helping like if viserys didn't love Rhaenyra so much and was just like, oh, you're a girl, you'll never be queen, then probably, like, a lot fewer people would die and, like, everyone would be better off. But, like, yes. in some but ways... But then Otto Hightower would, would have his mechanism, yeah. you know, would have his bullshit work. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would just be shitty Aegon with fewer steps, but, like... Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, interesting how much, sort of, the intensity of their friendships uh, control things and how often like stuff goes back to, uh, you know, uh, Rhaenyra and Allison's friendships, uh, friendship um, and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's 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 a well done show in that regard, and you know, and I think we will get those big wars and everything like that. But I even think the big moment at the end of the tenth episode is a good example of like this is a big intense war moment happening. You know, when Amond takes out uh, uh, Jace. I think it's Luke actually, right? Or was oh it yeah, Jace? It was Luke. I can't remember. It's Luke who he takes out when Amond takes out Luke at the end of that episode. That is still at the core about this family drama. And we do get the moment from Eamon where he's like, oh, fuck. Like, I killed my cousin. God damn it. Like, you know, uh, uh, which is going to be fun moving forward is that I think it is not going to be this kind of bloodless war. You know, there will be sort of emotional stakes to... You know the the era when there were the most dragons ever in Westeros. Yeah. One thing I really love about it that I was thinking about, especially in that Aemon Luke fight, is like I love that they actually have kids doing stuff in this one because that was sort mm-hmm. of something I think made Game of Thrones hit less hard than the books. Is like you see like Rob and you're like I don't know he should be better at this. He's like thirty. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like that they made the choice in this one, and it actually is a difficult choice to make to constantly be changing the cast. We haven't even yeah. talked about that yet. That, like, this is a huge show where, like, they get you invested in main characters and then change the actors, yeah. like, like, very specifically. It's We've seen this happen in shows before, but, like, mostly because actors, like, have to leave. <laughs> but they did, again, this is another, in another way, it's like the reverse Game of Thrones, where they kind of, like, learned from the mistakes of Game of Thrones where in Game of Thrones, the kids started getting too old, you know, brands grew up a little too much. This one, they're like, we're going to jump time jump like every three episodes and it's going to be a new person playing that person and just get used to it. Yeah, that is that was such a strange thing. Like when I started it, Millie Alcock, who played Rhaenyra, was like by far my favorite part. And it was so strange watching it, knowing it, knowing that like, the thing that I liked about it was going to change, but I like that they have that sort of confidence. I yeah, it's it's a bit that's a big swing. It really is a big swing. I also liked early Allison too. Uh, the the actress's name escapes me, but uh, I liked early Allison too. And I am sort of impressed with how much continuity they were able to, you know, maintain even in that switch. Like it didn't really bump me that you know I really do believe that these are the same person. Yeah. You know when this switch happens. Yeah, I thought that recast went really well. I think the like. Aegon one I think was a little bumpy for me because for some reason I feel like grown-up Aemon looked more like teen Aegon so that was confusing uh, 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 and also I felt like okay. um the older Aegon like didn't really look older to me I was like why is he just like a different teenager now <laughs> <laughs> I I it's maybe not the most I didn't buy it the most of the the look wise ones but I do like him as a little yeah. shit adult. Like, I do really buy him as a little shit adult. And Aemond, by the way, is, and people have said this already, but this is like the most Final Fantasy character <laughs> I've ever seen on television. You know what I mean? Like, this is truly like, which is badass. Like, we kind of didn't really get that in any of the, uh, in Game of Thrones that much, but I'm like, damn, this guy, the diamond for the eye, like, this is Sephiroth <laughs> I'm watching on television. Yeah. Aemon Rocks, and I I love the sort of contrast between them. Um, like Aemon, in a lot of ways, just seems like he would probably be a more competent ruler. I kind of like get where he's coming from on that. And then 
like the most redeeming thing about Aegon is whenever he's like, oh yeah, fine, I like won't be king. Like who gives a shit? I'm like, that's, that's a more healthy attitude to have. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Like, yeah, who would? Who would want that? Really? Uh, it is funny. Yeah, I like that a lot. That adds an extra fun like texture to it and that was in the book too because they had to like kind of force him to do it it does add this fun extra element of like everyone is fighting for this person to be king and he's like no thank (laughs) you i don't want to (laughs) be yeah the like reading the book especially i think it like just does such a good job of like giving you a sense of just like how weird this situation is and how weird it would be to live in a world like that because i just like kept thinking like just like imagine if like people were like okay the only way for us to stop trump is if we have malia obama have a baby right now <laughs> 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 <This sucks. laughs> yeah yeah i mean and that is kind of what's funnily at the core of game of thrones is like it really is just a medieval Mm -hmm. show like it is kind of like it is a nice little you know balance between like oh this is it does make you think about real medieval history but then also there are cool dragons and shit like that and magic (laughs) and everything it's not just boring tutors history or whatever um which you know i think works really well george r R. martin did figure out a way to like a different way to do fantasy uh that i think is appealing yeah and it just uh, feels so much more inherently like television, the sort of George R. Mar- R. Martin uh, world. I like. I'm sure you could uh, you could adapt like Lord of the Rings or lots of other fantasy shows in a way that works theoretically. Um, but like, it's amazing how much uh, when you read Fire and Blood, you're just like, I can imagine in, like any part of this, like getting a hundred episodes out of this if I wanted to. <laughs> like, I mean, if they want to do Magor, yeah. like there's so much, like a Jaharis would be a great show. I would, like again, like, yeah, I would love to see a show oh. about the girl who, yeah, like is too slutty to be a Targaryen. So she just like fucks off and like runs a whorehouse. Yeah. It's like, Oh, yeah, she, like, goes to, like, uh, the, I can't remember, like, the, you know, like, Marine area, you know, she goes over there, yeah, Bravos, she goes over to, it's great. Also, there's, like, an insane part where, what is the part where, like, one of them, like, goes to old Valyria, and then she comes back and, like, gives birth to a bunch of worms (laughs) or something like that, like, there's, like, crazy shit in the book, you know, which I don't even know what is going on, honestly, I'm like, what reading it uh having watched the show because it is like i think at least a good 200 pages before you get to anyone any name mm-hmm. a single name you would recognize but i like didn't care i was like really enjoying it yeah i really enjoyed it too and i yeah i i, I do feel like this is george r, r. martin being like okay if you're gonna make these shows like here's <laughs> a basic outline to follow like so that everything is internally consistent because i don't know if you did you read the interviews with him about like what they were planning before they decided to do this show he said that they were pursuing a pilot and they shot a pilot which is insane they shot a full you know these shows budgets are so high but they shot a pilot and what they originally were pursuing was something set like a thousand years before um, the events of Game of Thrones. And the way George R. R. Martin says it is he's like, that's like if you did a Sopranos prequel that took place in ancient Rome <laughs> and just called it like the Sopranos. Um, and weirdly, 
he says that HBO won't let him see the pilot oh, they shot. They still won't <laughs> let him see it. But yeah, I feel like HBO even was kind of like, okay, we got to do Game of Thrones. We have to do it right. And they eventually came back to George R.R. <laughs> R. Martin. They were like, how the hell do we do this? And th- this show has the production company logo, the GRRM, you know, which uh, was not there on Game of Thrones. And yeah, I feel like they had to... They like went afar and then they were like, sir, how do you do this world? And they finally just came back to him. I feel like he's like one of the only novelists where I'm like into that. Like, I'm like, yeah, of course. Cause I do think he like understands episodic television. Whereas like he did television for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like most, most authors I would be like, yeah, well like fuck off. Like who cares what they think? (laughs) Like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I remember reading, Part of why the like Lord of the Rings show was run by two people who never worked in TV before was because the estate was really into their pitch, which I'm sort of like, that is like nice that you care about like the spirit of it, but also like the spirit of it isn't going to make like the best television. I know. And, and also like the estate, like I, I saw people being like, you know, oh, like, you know, it's, it's, it's in tune with this vision. I'm like, it's in tune with the estate's right? vision. I mean, it's like Christopher Tolkien was like the Tolkien who was like the, you know, Pat basically J.R.R. like mm. uh, passed the torch to and he like was his literary heir and everything. And he died like in 2020. So I'm like, what Tolkien's are like left? Like, I don't really know the rest of the- I know Christopher. You can really be like he was part of it. And, you know, he did a lot of the later stuff and adapted all the notes and everything. But I'm like, who are the new ones? Like, I, I, I don't even know. The, I don't know if that has anything to do with, like, Tolkien's wishes or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I had to stop watching that show. But I will say it did get me to go back and uh, reread, like, everything Lord of the Rings again. So that's, that's like, been good anyway. Um, oh, so one specific thing I wanted to talk about was just the time jumps because I feel like that is really the only thing about it that doesn't feel like really traditional TV to me. Like, I think they did such a good job of making the episodes really feel like TV episodes, um, including like obviously like not having any time jumps in the episodes which i think a lot of mm-hmm. i think a lot of prestige television would have just like in the episode been like you know 5 years later or whatever and i liked that they didn't so that each episode feels yeah. like its thing um but the fact that it does sometimes like skip so much is sort of the one thing that made it like not feel like television television to me not necessarily in a bad way I think that it makes it really hard to have B plots. Right. That's what I think the issue is with is with the time jumps is like you really don't get to have things other things happening concurrently and then we like check in on them again uh, because like I don't know if there was like a little plot about like someone in King's Landing running a shop right. or something like that we'd come back and it's like they're dead <laughs> you know I don't know like so yeah that that is like I mean I think that maybe that will be I think they had to do you know, just based on the plot of the book and trying to stick to kind of in a good way, in a way that made sense, you know, uh, uh, stick to having all these events, you know, happen over time and not be like compressed into something smaller. I think maybe that's something that will, you know, be a little relieved in the, in the future seasons as we like really get into events, you know, kind of bunching up on each other in a way that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. 
But yeah, I did think I was like, oh, that that was one of the things, especially in the first couple episodes, where I was like, we're really just on this one thing. Like, there really is no, like, we can't cut away to sort of anything else in this show. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that being... A, um, I hadn't made the connection between that and the time jumps, but that was an aspect of it that I feel like when when people say it's better than Game of Thrones, I feel like such a big part of that is... You know, in Game of Thrones, there was such a big factor of being like, who's that guy? And like, why is he doing that? Why does that matter? And on House of the Dragons, it's like, if you see someone, you find out why they're important to the main characters, like, instantly. It's very much this, like, main thing. I don't want to say necessarily that it's better, but I do think that there are elements that are better and that work better in, in House of the Dragon. And I think that it is kind of cool that these shows get to be in the same world, but but very different shows. They are very different shows. Um, they're really not, like, it's it's much less of, like, an ensemble cast than, I mean, I guess it is an ensemble cast, but it was just different in Game of Thrones because the ensemble all had, like, their own disparate right. journeys, and this one is way more like an ensemble that's all sort of working on the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it's like how... Uh, I think in just like a normal HBO show like Succession or Sopranos, there's still like a million people, but they're not, you know, off on their own thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, I would say that that, you know, I watch a little bit of the Lord of the Rings show and I feel I feel like it's natural to want to compare these just because they're airing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, at my but... watch parties, we literally just watched them back to back. So I feel like they'll always be associated <laughs> to me. And that's also, like, I think one of the flaws of that show. I stopped watching it, but, like, that one is almost like we're just going to introduce eight characters and basically do, like, a web series length of each character per episode. You know what I mean? Like, you're basically watching, like, little, like, 15-minute, like, Adult Swim episodes <laughs> about each individual character. You know what I mean? Um, and that, I, I think, does kind of, like, speak to the never-having-made-a-show-ness yes, about them sure. or something. Like, it just do- that show didn't really feel like television. It, fe- it feels more like one of these just overly, you know, decompressed things. Whereas I agree with you that House of the Dragon really does have a, you know, I think that it would maybe be not the most pleasant, but you could watch any individual episode and understand like a beginning, middle and end, I think, on on House of the Dragon, even though it's not fully uh, uh, episodic. Yeah, that's something I really love about it. And it does remind me of like succession in that aspect or like sometimes Gossip Girl, where like they almost have the feel, I think of it as like a Thanksgiving episode where it's like we're bringing everyone (laughs) together and all these like little interactions build up into one thing. Yeah, I think that the time jumps do work, make it work well for that, too. It kind of puts each one in its own little island. Uh, it was an interestingly structured show, and and I do think that it ended up working out well. But, yeah, they made a lot of big swings that I think were, that did pay off. I, I was ultimately very happy with the show. Yeah, yeah, me too. I... Yeah. It did make me wonder if, like, they're ever going to do the Restoros show that I really want where they just like pick a pick a time and like live in it and it feels more like a like 22 episode uh, season uh, show um, uh, because yeah like this and Game of Thrones I think the thing they most have in common is there being like a lot of momentum and like not a you mm-hmm. know status quo week to week 
very much like building towards something. Maybe if they made Duncan Egg, they could get to something like that because that is a little more just like they're kind of wandering around. Like there is, you know, there is plot to it, but it is a lot smaller feeling than, than the rest of Game of Thrones is. Um, what were uh, sort of, so you read the book after you'd watched like a few episodes. Um, were there any sort of like character descriptions and stuff like that in the book that like surprised you compared to like what you had seen from the show? I don't know about if anything surprised me. I was surprised that Jaehaerys wasn't there for that great scene at the beginning, Jaehaerys's council, which is a great scene at the beginning of the show, but it does very specifically say in the book that Jaehaerys did not <laughs> attend that council, which I was like, that's interesting. I mean, I think it was maybe like a good change for the show. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that it was a good, another good change for the show was making Alicent and Rhaenyra friends oh, yeah, and making them the same age, I think worked really well. Um, uh, yeah. What about you? Is there any changes that, uh, uh, that surprised um, you? Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you about Rhaenyra and Alicent. It's so interesting that that's not in the show because it does sort of feel like, or not in the book because like it does mm -hmm. feel like that is like what the show's about. I actually, when I started the show like as soon as Rhaenyra and Allison like first like laid eyes on each other I was like oh it's cool that this show is about a lesbian and it like took me a while <laughs> to realize like that's not actually like text <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um, oh go ahead no 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 uh, uh, yeah I, I don't know I, I was not hyper surprised by anything i mean you know you know going in that they uh, uh that there was already the whatever fake controversy over the valerians uh being black but that didn't really like i don't think it actually like bothers me yeah, that much I, in the show it and it, there's something about them being like sea hard <laughs> hardened sea people or something that kind of makes it i don't know it doesn't it didn't really yeah, bother it didn't bother me too much except like when when uh, Rhaenyra was, you know, like, obviously, like, having an affair and having bastard children, there were, like, moments where I was like, is it, like, too stupid if he's, like, one of the only black right. guys, like, in this world? Yeah. It is funny. It is funny that, like, in the books, it's just, like, they had brown hair, and so everyone right. had to do it. And this, it's like, they're, like, just white kids, yeah. you know, but it's whatever. It's also interesting that Allison, and I don't remember if this is also true in the books, but Allison has black hair, which is you know, a dominant gene. That's a big part of the Game of Thrones books. But, like, all her children still look um, look Targaryen, um, which surprised me. And I, like, I don't know. It's just kind of like, oh, are Targaryen gene, genes, like, dominant in the bounds of, like, a legal marriage? <laughs> like, uh, 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 uh. I, yeah, I don't know. I think in the books, I mean, I... I uh, I think in the book, I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at like changes. Rainis in, in the book is described as having dark hair because yeah, she was like from, from, which that is an interesting yeah, change. It seems like in the book, um, Targaryen genes aren't like so strong. Like it seems like on the show, it's like, unless you, unless you're Rhaenyra's poor kids, like you will always have like white, white hair. Um, but in yeah. the book, it was a lot more like the, I think, like, one of the things I find really funny in the book is, like, sometimes they'll describe someone as being, like, homely, but they're, like, actually just not Targaryen-looking. It'll be like, oh, she was she was ugly. She had, like, strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, I think that um yeah, the uh I yeah, I it is interesting. I think that maybe the genes are a little less super dominant uh in the books. But I also do think that there is just even that these that they have silver hair all the way up to like you know, uh, 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 you know, Khaleesi uh, up to Daenerys kind of makes it seem like there's a super dominance yeah. to, oh, always, to Valerian genes. Before this show and this book, I always just assumed that because they have such, you know, traditionally recessive genes with the light, light hair, that was why they did the incest. Like they would not look like that if they ever were with anyone who doesn't look like that. True, true. There is a lot of incest. There's an element of that too. That, uh, but yeah, it, it kind of, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, uh, it, it does work in the show, but I do agree with you that it's like, you know, the Lenor is a black guy and it is like, that's almost like goes unsaid that they're not, they're like, well, they're obviously not like, black kids yeah it was one of those things where i wasn't sure if like their society is so different like there's you know people uh care about different traits and different cultures you know like um so i was like do they genuinely only care that her kids don't have white hair and like that's the only thing but then you know honestly is 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 that are are we bringing that to the show because of reading the book you know what i mean like it like all maybe in the show i'm i'm thinking now i'm like does it actually like make it more like make sense a little like more in a weird way you know what i mean like does it actually like is it like this is so brazen and ridiculous right. that they're even making this claim which is like kind of implied in the book but like yeah is is it said i don't remember if it's exactly said in the show that the only thing that people are concerned about is the is the hair right, yeah. you know like maybe it is just so brazen that people are like i mean come on yeah that, that's that's a good point i almost wondered if like they should have made the strong family also black so that it could be more hmm. a matter of just like she has black kids, but they don't have the white hair. So something obviously happened. Yeah. Um, but you bring yeah. up a good point that like everyone is just like, come on. And I do. Yeah. I was glad they put in a line where Rhaenyra was like, you know, I always sort of wish that we would have kids together the times that we did it to, to Lenor. I was glad they put that in because like so often I was like, Look, I don't want to be like homophobic, but you should like just fuck your wife when the stakes are this high. <laughs> if it's this high, like just make right? one. You know what I mean? Make one at least. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, uh, I, I, I also liked their relationship. Yeah. I thought that was something that was like sort of, you know, it, it was definitely in the book, but I did like the kind of you know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing kind of being said explicitly. I like their conversation. You know, it's uh, uh, it's a, it's an interesting thing, you know, where it's like, I feel like people didn't complain as much, you know, as people do these days. They'll complain about any kind of gay characters and stuff like that because it just did like, it felt like it really fit naturally and like was, you know, in service of the plot. You know what I mean? Versus like a light year where they just are like here's two frames of two right. people kissing or whatever like this is actually like very important to the plot and like kind of yeah i don't know i, I thought it, it used uh, uh, all of that like very very yeah, well yeah and i think it really worked well for um corliss and rainy's characters because um in some ways they do really like resent rhaenyra i think for the affair but i think part of 
why they're so forgive like I think their characters wouldn't have worked if Lenor wasn't gay because you can kind of tell that part of their leniency is being like, well, he just like wouldn't have done it. Like he wouldn't well, have made kids. It's like we we know who our yeah. son is, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah I think yeah. uh Corliss's relationship with uh Jason Luke, I think, is like kinda sweet that he like sort of tried to be like, Okay, you're the heir of Driftmark, I guess. <laughs> I think also the line, you know, was a good one that they used the thing of like, you know, history doesn't remember blood. History remembers right, names, yeah. I think. I, which uh, like, I thought, it would I be like, especially true good. in this era. It's like, I don't know, just like paint Jace black, I guess. Like, who cares? <laughs> There's no photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for what's to come, you know, especially like reading the book. I'm just like, damn, there is like a lot of crazy shit that happens and there really is like a lot of fun you know we haven't even met all of the like like the starks yeah. and stuff like that which i think is going to be very fun to see um god what was his name again uh the the stark kid damn uh i wish i could remember right now um uh whatever uh, uh craig Krager, oh, cragen yeah. cregan cregan stark the young the like basically like teenager that's in charge of winterfell like i think we have a lot of kind of fun almost star wars prequel yes. stuff sort of still to come in like the you know we've seen now the the targaryens and king's landing and then like in these next seasons we get to we're going to see a lot more of the baratheons mm-hmm. we're going to see the starks we're going to see the tullys and all this kind of stuff uh which is fun exciting to look forward to yeah i really love that stuff um and yeah i'm like looking forward to seeing stuff shake out in the show because i feel like in the book it like goes by so fast like it's such a it's such a fucking slaughter um there's so many people where it's like and then he was king for three months and that didn't work out very well so it's gonna be nice to actually see it like go through uh and be dramatized more and I really wonder what the pace of this show is I going know, to be yeah. because I'm like, if, they, if it continues at the pace that it's at, then maybe they're done in like three seasons. But if they like really slow it down and really do the blow by blow and live in it, I'm like, maybe this is another seven season show or something. Like, I, I really have no idea because the pace of this first one was like insane. Yeah. It was like paced like maybe nothing I've seen on television before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was really interesting that they got away with that and i think it just like worked by doing by doing such strong episodes so you don't necessarily notice the uh the overall pacing as much um yeah and i heard that uh once they like blow through the whole dance of the dragons they want to make an anthology show and i don't like i don't know how true that is but it would like definitely work cuz there's so many interesting things in fire and blood that i'm like oh they should go back to that like i love uh i love stuff like um in aegon's initial conquest when they like meet a boy king who just like doesn't care at all and is just like can i ride your dragon (laughs) like i just want to see all that stuff yeah what what is that that's like when is that when you know when like King's Landing anoints its own king and stuff like that. And he becomes, I think he becomes like Aegon's like cupbearer or something like that. He's like friends to him or something. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming up. And I almost, yeah, I 
I am like, are they just going to continue calling this House of the Dragon? And like, when this one's over, they're like, now the Tale of Magor. <laughs> yeah. Like, we get another we get another title card that's like, now this one was 170 years before <laughs> Dar- Daenerys Targaryen. Um, yeah, I mean, they definitely could. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, I don't remember saying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they could just sort of spin this into being an anthology show. And, you know, I, again, I was hesitant. I was like, okay, enough with Game of Thrones. I'm ready for the books to come out. And I don't really care about what HBO is doing. And I'm now I'm more like, maybe HBO should just do Game of Thrones yeah. shows for the next, like, 30, 40 years yeah, or something it, like that. And maybe I'll just be in for that. It's interesting because, like, maybe I just think this because I'm not, like, a Star Wars head, so I'm kind of outside of it, but I feel like Game of Thrones, like, lends itself way more to what they're doing with Star Wars, of just, like, letting people pitch different shows and stuff, because there is, there are, like, so many stories there, whereas, like, I don't know, I, my sense is, like, even though it's sort of a big world, that, like, Star Wars was, like, this specific story, and there's not, like, inherently a lot of stuff to go to. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, I think that there is, like, a big world sort of within Star Wars, but then, you know, like... Like George Lucas never wrote, like, a big book of, like, here's all the things that happen. You know what I mean? Like, and also, yeah, like... George R. R. Martin, like, from the beginning, these are, like, 800-page books that go into every little tiny detail, you know? Like, Star Wars was really, like, you know, uh, uh, it was it was six movies, you know what I mean? Like, it really exists best as 12 hours worth of material, um, and it does feel like they're kind of trying to get blood from the stone from it, and then some of these things just feel, like, aimless, and they don't really feel, you know, like they all are working toward the same whole you know i haven't watched andor yet although i am maybe being convinced to but i'm not sure if i'll do it anyway but from what i understand about andor everyone's like this is a very serious meditation on fascism (laughs) or whatever and i'm like I don't know, like, that just doesn't feel, like, internally consistent, you know, with, like, what the Mandalorian is and, you know, all this other stuff. I'm like, Star Wars, maybe it is big enough that it can, like, contain all this different stuff and maybe it's closer to, like, DC Comics or Marvel or something where it's like, oh, it's a playground where people can kind of do what they want. But Game of Thrones feels like it's maybe better suited for, you know, a consistent... Um, internal, like it makes sense internally, um, you know, uh, like 400 episodes of television, right, yeah. you know, like Star, like Star Trek or something like that, like where the world does kind of lend itself well to there being many, many stories told in it that all kind of feel like they do work together. Yeah, yeah just like reading Fire and Blood, there are just like so many parts I would come upon where I felt like I could like point to that and be like okay I can make that show like this you know paragraph in it could be yeah yeah there's so much good stuff I kind of do I do hope I hope they they keep they like make it an anthology show or something like that because there is a lot of like fun to be had in this world and I George R. R. Martin like did surprise me with this I was like I don't know if I care about anything other than this main story and then i was like wait a second like actually like this is all very cool (laughs) stuff and feels like a little different but it is all in the same world like he kind of figured it out yeah um yeah just like kind of rocked to to get like such a surprise and to just have like uh it just felt like everyone 
communally together was like skeptical and then was like, oh no, no, like never mind. This rocks. It was, like, <laughs> such a fun yeah, it was it was nice to be surprised, yeah. you know, and also like this is like maybe one of the first times recently where because they're bringing everything back and we have to just sort of exploit ip over and over again this was the first one where i was like okay cool like great like it's good that we brought this back it kind of doesn't ruin or make worse the original it doesn't feel like hollow and cynical it's like yeah like there's more to be done in this and like let's all 30 million of us watch it together <laughs> yeah. and talk about it at work the next day yeah yeah it was such a just like fun group watch like um it was just, it was nice like uh getting excited about different moments but also just like joking about it together like we like every week you know you would go in expecting Viserys to finally die and then he didn't and like <laughs> me and the people I was watching with started joking that like Instead of Bran being king in the end, they're gonna be like, "Oh, it turns out Viserys is still alive." So I yeah, guess it's like he's still, still king. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and yeah, Patty Considine, I think, like really brought it with this series. Apparently, he's a fan of the book too. I don't know if you noticed, but in the episode where there was uh, the marriage, you know, when um, I think it was, uh, yeah, when the one, the one where uh, Alicent shows up and she's in the greens, and we have, you know, uh, uh, Clubfoot being like, she's wearing green. Yeah. Yeah, or whatever. That was um, such a fun. There was oh, sorry. There was one shot of mushroom oh, nice! in that episode. Awesome. Mushroom was playing with the with like the bards, and I read in an interview apparently. It was Patty Considine who was like, can we get Mushroom in this scene? Because he's like read the book and is like a fan of Mushroom. So there's one shot of Mushroom in the show. Um, yeah, that was a great moment because like Allison walked in. And everyone was like, everyone at my party was like, uh, okay, there's obviously like a thing. There's there's something. And there, but there was like several minutes before the characters like green is what they wear when they're declaring war. But it was like fun that it was like okay, we all knew that there was something. <laughs> Some big deal. I mean, obviously in the book, it's the greens and the blacks, which is uh, like fun. And yeah, I thought the show that again is almost like just TV show stuff that they had someone be like, don't you know that green is when it's war? Oh, my. Oh, me. Oh, my. Um, yeah. And honestly, you know, uh, uh, Kristen Cole is such a fun character to hate. <laughs> yes. Kristen sucks so bad. And like, I think they have done a really good job of making him suck yeah. in the show. Um, <laughs> he ends up sucking way worse in the book. And it's all set up very nicely for him to be a truly hateable character. Yeah, I love Kristen Cole and how much it just like feels like there's some there's some lesbian drama going on between Rhaenyra and Alicent. And it's like, Kristen Cole doesn't actually matter. He's just like the conduit for Rhaenyra's and uh -huh. to fuck each other. Yeah, yeah. To have a fight. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very funny. Kristen is does suck so yeah. bad though, and I think that they, I think they've cast that. I think he was good casting yeah, actually because so he like he comes off as like kind of befuddled and dumb, but also still very hateable yeah. in the show. Yeah, it was interesting yeah. when. Um, uh, Rhaenyra almost hooks up with Damon and then doesn't, and then she goes and hooks up with Kristen Cole. At the time, I was like, this is sort of like 
a weird female fantasy of being like, what if when I almost fucked this like really gross weird guy, I like instead just went to like a guy who's like attractive and nice to me. Um, and then like, as it unfolds, I'm like, oh, I like her with Damon so much more than Kristen Cole. Uh, 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 uh. I mean, that's also something fun about this show is like in the world of TV and movies and everything being so kind of weirdly squeaky clean and like politically good. I'm like, it's good to go back to a show where we're like, I want the incest God. to happen. Like I like, I like going back to weirdo. Like HBO is just like, fuck all that shit. Like we're back to incest. We're back to sexy incest where everyone is like on board with it and wants it to happen. Yeah, I love that. Like the main canon couple in the most popular show in the world is a couple <laughs> where you're like, can I tell people I like this? Like, I don't know how it would go over. And I definitely sense that like at the, like watch parties when we were talking as a group, it would be like, oh, but you know, I think uh, Damon like wasn't actually into her. It was like, so he could marry her for power. But then it was like in private, like on the drive home, it'd be like, they have a lot of chemistry, right? Like they really <laughs> want to fuck each other. I mean, that first scene where they're at the brothel and I, I was like, I was, I was really like, whoa, that was the episode where I was like, this kind of went over and I was like, wow, like HBO is crazy. Yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. they're like, like, they're like without without sort of like pulling back and being like but it's actually messed up i'm like we're just watching a super sexy incest yeah. scene and they're like just like this is whatever we don't give a shit like we don't need to like make a moral judgment about this this is just like what's happening or something mm -hmm. which is like good i'm fine with it like not everything needs to be fucking after school special <laughs> yeah it is it is really incredible that it's like just gross and then like when i go on tumblr which is usually like the preachy site where everyone's chastising each other it's like wall to wall damon and rhaenyra gifts i'm just like <laughs> hbo did it <laughs> they've got the juice they've got the magic i think so too and, and that's kind of one of the things i forgot coming into this was like yeah hbo just knows how to make fucking television shows like they're really really good at it they're really good at making like really big and also just like weird to the american psyche shows that like somehow go over and hit huge yeah. you know and they like feel big like movies they feel like events like this is almost like a throwback you know after all these years of like the streaming services, Stranger Things, all this shit, everybody kind of like pretending that all these other services were like as good as HBO. <laughs> it's like nice to get a reminder that it's like, oh no, like the big boys still know how to make TV, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> um, all right. So it's been, I think about an hour. So um, I would definitely go on if you have more you want to talk about, but if you want to like wrap up and rate stuff, I'm into that too. I'm fine to rate if we want to do it. I, I have to do some other stuff, but I'm happy to join again next season if we want to get back yeah. into it in 2024. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm. All right, so I'm going to give uh, Fire and Blood like a really solid three. I think it's unbelievably well made, um, and it just sort of, I think like ultimately didn't thrill me as much as like a novel would, um, but yeah, I definitely respect it and would give it like a solid three. Yeah, uh, this is out of five. Yeah. I think I ha I have to go up to four for me. You know, I think it maybe is not as gripping as a novel. It definitely didn't pull me in as much uh, as the Game of Thrones books did. But I do think that George R. R. Martin is such a solid writer and has like 
did choose to do something interesting. You know, I don't know if you know, but like this book kind of had its genesis in they were doing one of those kind of Buffy style or like, you know, encyclopedia of the DC universe mm-hmm. books or whatever that was just supposed to be a bunch of pictures. And they asked him for like liner notes <laughs> and he ended up writing like 75,000 words. And so they were like, oh, maybe we should just like spin this out. So yeah, I I think for what it was intended to be and what it could have been, uh, George like went uh, above and beyond yeah. and and did really make this into into an interesting piece of fiction, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of is like its own weird format. It's like it's better than like World War Z, which is the closest thing I can like maybe sort of uh, uh, compare it to, like another sort of false history in the style of a real history. Um, so yeah, I'd give it a four out of five. I think people, I think it is a fun read and and does some interesting stuff with with prose. Um, and then I'm going to give House of the Dragon season one a four out of five. I just really, really enjoyed it. And it didn't, uh, it didn't have at least at first as many like crazy Game of Thrones moments, but I was into that because it had so many just like nice small relationship moments. Yeah, I, I I give it a four out of five as well, verging on a five out of five even, you know, I I... There's small things that I don't like. I didn't love Renice coming out with the dragon, fucking whatever. I, everyone got, like, way mad about that, and I'm not as online. And then I, like, looked and saw how mad everyone was, and I was like, I watched that, and I was like, this is not that good, but I don't think it, like, is a big deal right. or anything. Um, and, but, yeah, I, I think that, I think that you know, the show is good. It's In some ways, there are elements that are better than Game of Thrones. Um, I think Ryan Condal is a pretty good showrunner, and I like that George R. R. Martin is a little more involved uh, and I'm looking forward to see, and more in some ways more than Game of Thrones because when you read the books you're like I know exactly what right. happens like this show I am very much looking forward to the future seasons because there's stuff left to expand on and decide um, alright so I'd like to end on a recommendation um, since I like the show better I'm going to recommend a book uh I'm going to recommend House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, which is also sort of the story of this quasi-magical family that has a big role in in the history of a country. Um, And then since you rated them both uh, four four out of five, you can uh, recommend a book or a show, whatever you feel like. A book or a show... um... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess if people haven't read it, they should read the Earthsea books uh, by Ursula Le Guin, uh, which are a great little, another sort of different look at fantasy. Like, if you like, you know, if you want, and it's not like Lord of the Rings, it's definitely not, or um, like Game of Thrones, it's not like a sort of realist take on fantasy, but it is another um, different you know, vibe of fantasy than like your traditional Lord of the Rings. And uh, yeah, I guess that's where I, what I would tell people to read is the Earthsea cycle. Um, all right. You got any plugs? Yeah. You can listen to me on the Struggle Session show, um, which is at sesh.show. And I'll have a book coming out next year in fall. So probably before uh, the next season of House of the Dragon comes out. Uh, but keep an eye out for that from uh, Clash Books. Um, and yeah, thanks again for having me, Lenny. Yeah, of course. Um, everyone can follow me on Twitter at Lenny Burnham and subscribe to the Patreon if you want episodes early. Uh, thank you for being here, Jack. And thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Good times. Thank you.